So friends, we come now to uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 3 as we continue our series in your mission, should you choose to accept it. Let's hear God's word. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It was 28th of September 2008, and a football player faced the gathered media after losing a game that the team had been expected to win. I just want to say one thing, he began. To the fans and everybody in Gator Nation, I'm sorry. Extremely sorry. I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You will never see any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. And you will never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. And you will never see a team play harder than you will see us play the rest of the season. God bless. And he walked off. After this, Tim Tebow's well-known promise speech, the team went on an extraordinary run of victories. It took bravery to front up to the issue, and it took bravery to commit to the promise. Will we be brave to go on mission for Jesus? Uh, We are in Luke's uh, gospel and we're each week reminding ourselves of the wider context as we just look at one verse. It's important to see it in the context of the passage but also the context of the whole book. Luke has a a theme. He's teaching us that Jesus has come as the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. He wants us to have certainty about that. And he wants to take us to take that message of his salvation then to all nations. And the section we're in in Luke chapter 10 is part of the second part of the gospel where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke structures the story in such a way that there are a number of different themes. And this theme in chapter 10 is all about the mission. We've seen uh, already that there's a question we need to answer. Will you follow? And then we saw there's a question we need to answer. Will you go? And then will you pray? And this morning we're looking at will you be brave? And we'll seek to answer that question in four ways. First, be brave. Why? You are under his authority. So verse 3 begins... Jesus says, go your way. Those three words translate a single Greek word, and there are different attempts in our English translations to render it into contemporary English. Uh, The word in modern Greek just means go. In ancient Greek, before the New Testament was written, it often had the sense of going under the authority 
of those who are being sent out by the person sending them out. There's a sense of being under the authority of the one issuing the instruction to go. And there's a conversation as to whether the right way to think about this Greek work is under Jesus' authority. I think it probably does, though it isn't certain. And I know there are Greek scholars here in the church, and you can come to your own opinion. And, of course, you can just look it up on the Internet and figure out what you think as well. But even if this Greek word doesn't have the sense of going under the authority of Jesus, as I think it probably does, the word is certainly in the imperative. That means it's a command. Uh, Go. Jesus is commanding us. We are under his authority. And that's a great reason to be brave. Today, witnessing to Jesus has various challenges. But one of the fundamental ones is we live in a day where the general opinion is that there are many different paths up the mountain. And therefore, for you and I to say that Jesus is the way to be saved comes across in our culture and our day as intrinsically and inevitably arrogant. Who are you to say that your way is better than anyone else's way? And because of that, it's very easy for those of us who call ourselves Christians, and you're not yet a Christian here this morning, it's it's helpful for you to think through with us why it is that Christians want to witness to Jesus. But for those of us who are Christians this morning, it's very easy for us to stay silent Because for us to speak about Jesus in our day, where everyone thinks there are many different paths up the mountain, to speak of Jesus comes across as intrinsically arrogant. We live in a day of relativistic pluralism. That's the usual two-way, two words that are used to describe it. That is, people are increasingly aware of the pluralistic options of religiosity today, all sorts of different religions. And the philosophy is those pluralistic options are relativistic. It's a matter of your own opinion. And you construct your own narrative around what you think. And all that means that people think there are many different paths up the mountain. And what that means is to share our faith in Jesus comes across to many people today as intrinsically arrogant. And therefore, the great temptation is to say, stay silent. What is the answer to that? Well, foundationally, essentially, the answer to that is that it is not our authority. Our faith in Jesus as being the only way to God is not established based upon our Background, our culture, our opinion, our preference. And our commission to tell people of Jesus is not based upon any of those things either. We are under his authority. And therefore we must witness. He tells us to do so. And of course, that gives us great bravery, doesn't it? 
We are not arrogating to ourselves a, a better way, a cleverer way, a more sophisticated way. We are not putting our preference over other people's preferences. We are witnessing because we are under his authority. In a sense, don't blame us. Take the issue to God himself. We are merely representing him. Well, that gives us bravery, doesn't it? We're under his authority. The authority of Jesus himself. Who could not be brave then? Go, you're under my authority, the Lord says. Second reason to be brave, to witness, you are on his mission. So Jesus says, uh, go your way, behold, or look, I am sending you. Uh, This is not simply, I think, uh, a reaffirmation that we're under his authority that comes to the word go, but an additional thought that we are on his mission. I'm sending you. The word there for mission is the same word that's used uh, in uh, the, uh, the, uh, that we know in English as apostle, the sending. Here, though, as we've seen already, this isn't particularly and only exclusively for the apostles. That's the 12. This is for all of us. All of us, though, have a sending purpose, a mission, if we're Christians. Well, that gives us bravery. Listen, college student, listen, teenager, uh, listen, mother, listen, grandfather, listen, grandmother, listen, business person, listen, teacher, listen, professor. Your life has a purpose. You have been put here for a reason, you have a great responsibility. Your life, therefore, has meaning. Be brave. All sorts of statistics these days show that uh, young people are struggling with their mental health. And one of the predominant reasons for that, without any doubt, at least in my mind, is that the message that has been communicated by our culture to our young people today is that life has no meaning. And, of course, if life has no meaning, then it is merely logical to feel meaningless. But if you follow Jesus, if you decide this morning for the first time to take a step in following Jesus, now your life has a mission. You have a purpose. You have meaning. A great meaning. He's put you here for a reason. See, our lives are not simply about checking off a bucket list of uh, exciting entertainment options. What's the point of that? There's no point in the end. It might be momentarily interesting. But it doesn't give you any purpose, any meaning. Nor are lives merely about having a balanced life, a healthy life, and 
work-life balance and all the rest. Well, fine, but what's, what's the point of it? What's the point of being more healthy if your life doesn't have any meaning? No, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are on his mission. Your life is a great gospel adventure. Be brave. Seize the opportunity. Make the most of it. You have a mission. Be brave, third, because you follow his example. This, as we look at it, no doubt comes across to most people as the most challenging part of the text, but in a way is actually the most encouraging. Uh, Jesus says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs. Why on earth would Jesus do that? We know that the Lord Jesus loves his people. We know that he cares and protects for his church. We know that he is sovereign over all and does not lack power. Why would he put us into the situation of being lambs among wolves? Not merely sheep among wolves, lambs. Young ones. What could be more vulnerable, risky, dangerous? Why on earth would Jesus do this? Well, it's a call to be brave because we're following his example in at least two ways. Jesus himself was lamb-like in the sense that he was gentle. That didn't mean he never confronted evil. But he was known for his kindness and gentleness. Well, we are to be like that too. Yes, uh, we do, because we're under his authority, have a message that Jesus is the way to God. And that message, yes, is intrinsically confrontative with the predominant message of our day of relativistic pluralism being many different paths up the same mountain. Yes. But though that is true, we do not have a tone of arrogance. We have a tone of gentleness. Lamb-like. We're not to be aggressive. Nasty. What an important word today. So often we think of witness as something that is bound to be intrinsically combative in style. Not at all. I'm sending you out as a lamb. How could you be scared of a lamb? Gentle. Like Jesus was. He's emphasizing that part of his ministry here. For us to follow his example. Not threatening to the people we're seeking to witness. But for them. We were uh, uh, thinking about this uh, yesterday at the membership uh, class. And one of the things I was sharing with them was how much we as leaders here want to give the 
uh, make it clear and to give the impression, because it is true, that we are on the side of those that we're seeking to lead. We're for you. We're not against you. We wish to be lamb-like. Uh, but it also echoes in another part of Jesus' example, which, of course, is his sacrifice. This is uh, taught for us in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 to 8, that Jesus, when he came to die on the cross, he came as a lamb. And uh, as Philip uh, as preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he picks up on the same message to point to the, the sacrificial death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a great reason to be brave, isn't it? If Jesus himself went to the cross as a lamb, and we're following his example, what a great thing that is. But it's even more wonderful that that way is the way of victory. Book of Revelation chapter 5, in the throne room of heaven, it is the Lamb who was slain who's victorious. So be brave. Your victory comes through following his example through the cross. But then fourth and uh, finally, Be brave, you have his wisdom. Jesus says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, uh, in Matthew's uh, uh, version of this uh, teaching, uh, we hear that Jesus also says that uh, we are to be innocent as doves, but canny or wise as snakes. And I think the emphasis here on Jesus is, is on us realizing the context and therefore being wise about it. Yes, innocent or lamb-like, gentle, self-sacrificial, but not naive, because there are wolves out there. Wise. The condition of the church in the New Testament age is to be lambs in the midst of wolves. But with that comes a canniness, a wisdom of how to act in that, in, that, in that context. Uh, one traditional saying that is not in the Bible, but I think is illustrative, it's a very ancient traditional saying of, that reflects on this context, uh, has uh, Peter engaged with Jesus on this issue about being lambs among wolves. So in the traditional saying, it goes like this, in addition, it says, Peter uh, replies to Jesus, but how then if the wolves tear the lamb? Well, that's the question I want to ask Jesus too. When this traditional saying, Jesus replies, let not the lambs fear the wolves when the lambs are once dead. And then, uh, quoting from the Bible, Matthew chapter 10, Fear not them which kill the body. Well, that's reason to be brave. Even if you face death itself, 
as a Christian, you need not fear. And when you face up to that reality and then adopt his ultimate perspective, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then you are brave. This, this bravery, then, is more than simply a stoic kind of courage. Uh, Seneca the Younger said, great men rejoice in adversity. Well, there's some truth to that. A challenge is something that those who are great-hearted rise up to. And there's some element to that in the teaching here. But it's more than that. It's the ultimate wise perspective on life and death. Some years ago, I was uh, shared this uh, story by a member of our church in a, from a book that he was reading. Uh, it's of a World War II pilot who uh, crash-landed his plane and died. Uh, his name was Cyril Barton. And it was discovered that he had left a letter for his mother. And this is what the, mo- the letter to his mother said. Except for leaving you, I am quite prepared to die. Death holds no terrors for me. I know I shall survive the judgment because I have trusted in Christ as my Savior. All that I am anxious about is that you and the rest of the family would come to know him. Witness. With the wisdom from above, the letter concluded, I commend my Savior to you. So be brave. You are under his authority. You are on his mission. You follow his example. And you have his Wisdom. This is far more than simply a call to um, audacity or boldness. Even the great uh, dictator, Napoleon Bonaparte, his famous advice to his generals was uh, always be bold, l'audace, toujours l'audace, always audacity, always boldness. And there's some truth to that, but this is far more than simply a vacuous call to courage. No, you're under his authority. You are on his mission. You follow his example. You have his wisdom. I began with a 2008 story from a football player. On May the 31st, 1792, a young shoemaker cobbler, preached one of the most influential sermons ever. It is known as the deathless sermon. In it, William Carey called God's people to mission. According to the biography of his great-great-grandson, S. Pierce Carey, William Carey preached from Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. 
He contextualized uh, that passage with the scandals that God's people in the time of Isaiah were going through, with the scandals that God's people in the time of William Carey were going through. He uh, was influenced by a line from the renowned poet William Cooper, quote, Behold, at thy commanding word we stretch the curtain and the cord. Carey's message was that the way out of trouble was not maintenance, but bold commitment to mission. He preached, quote, Get up, God said. Find larger canvas, stouter and taller poles, and stronger tent pegs. Catch wider visions. Venture on bolder programs. Dwell in a larger world. Thy maker is thy husband. He is Lord of all the earth. The most famous line from that sermon is still often quoted today. Uh, Expect great things from God, attempt great things, forego. Though his great-grandson, S. Pierce Carey, uh, makes the comment, which I think is very insightful, that, that usually that line is quoted the wrong way round, putting attempt great things for God first, when the right order is first to be filled with the vision of who God is, and then, as a result, to attempt great things for him. What is less well known about that sermon is that after it had been preached, at first, nothing happened. The committee of the pastors who were running the conference met to discuss various matters of organization after the conference had closed. And as that committee meeting uh, wandered to its end with no decision, the young man, William Carey, in spiritual agony, turned to the venerable older minister, Fuller, gripped his arm, and cried, Is there nothing again going to be done, sir? His biographer remarks, This proved to be a creative moment in the history of evangelistic endeavor. And before it closed, the committee adopted the historic motion resolved that a plan be prepared against the next minister's meeting at Kettering for forming a society for propagating the gospel globally.
Is there nothing again going to be done, sir? Is there nothing again going to be done, mother? Is there nothing again going to be done, father? Is there nothing again going to be done, business person? Is there nothing again going to be done, teacher? Is there nothing again going to be done, pastor? Is there nothing again going to be done, Christian? Be brave. Let us pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that in the teaching of your word with a call to bravery comes great promises. We thank you, Lord, that we don't take into our own hands the responsibility for the ultimate success of witness. It's your responsibility and your sovereign power, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have a wisdom against which even death itself cannot defeat us because you have the victory and we're in you. Lord, we're very aware that today it's so hard to talk of you in, in a witnessing way. Help us at least to begin. Help us to be brave. In the name of Jesus. Amen.